This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, we have a very special episode coming to you from the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your co-host, Mary, and with me is my co-host, Nick. What up, people and their phones? And he's not here in person, but uh, Rail Splitter Jeremy is most definitely here in spirit. So we have a little bit of something different for you this week. Um, Nick actually went to the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield, Illinois again. And what did you get to do there, Nick? It's because I was down in Springfield here, um, which would be two weeks ago or about 10 days ago or so. And I was lucky enough. I was down there for um, the D-Day celebration. Um, And then I reached out to the Lincoln Library and they were gracious enough. And they hooked me up with an hour with Christian McWhorter, who is the Lincoln historian. He was on a past episode. Um, This would be my second time kind of talking to him. Second time in person. Second time on the show. He's just a nice guy. And we talk about a collection of stuff. So um, from a news article that he was quoted in to um, some the new statue outside the museum. And as well as a big focus for our conversation was the Lincoln um, and some of the myths and inaccuracies and, you know, the role of historian and the importance of kind of getting things right. Um, so it was a great conversation. And that sounds really awesome. And I so wish I could have been there for it, too. Um, I think, Christian, he's from Canada originally, or he? Yes, he is from yeah, Canada. Yeah, actually, he and I went to the same university, uh, University yeah. of Toronto at Mississauga. So uh, go Arendelle. <laughs> Um, yes. And I said, next time I come down there, I'll make sure Mary's with me. So, yes. Um, so we got to get you down there. Yeah. He's just a nice dude. He's a good guy. And then I think that will come across an in interview. Yeah. No, he's I remember him when he was on the podcast before. And it was a really um, a, it was about Civil War music um, and music and Abraham Lincoln. And it was a really interesting, fun episode to record. So without further ado, Here is the um, interview that Nick did, and I just want to take the time actually right now just to thank you, Nick, for doing that work out in the field for us. It's really awesome. So, um, Well, he did all the hard stuff. I didn't do much talking. (laughs) I just screwed in a couple uh, mic stands, and the shout-out goes to Christian. So uh, thank you for being a cool dude uh, and talking to us. And he's kind of – he's the man if you got a Lincoln question. He's the – the first and last and only stop necessary. Yeah. Yes. And, and kudos to uh, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum and Christian for for taking the time to do this with us. We really appreciate it. And um, I think our listeners are probably going to hopefully really enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Nick's interview with Christian McWhorter from the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. All right, we're sitting here. Um, I've been lucky enough to be in Springfield, and they've let me into the library here and actually took me to the third floor. Um, so I am with Christian McWhorter. I said that wrong already, didn't I? No, that was right. That was right? Yeah, you got okay, it. I was practicing earlier. I think I would know after having you on the show. Um, what's going on? How's life? Life is, is good. Uh, busy. Uh, it's been a very busy week here at the museum and library, but uh, otherwise things are good. Yeah, I appreciate you squeezing us in. So. Oh, happy to do it. Always happy to do stuff with you guys. Oh, so. we appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, so first, we're going to talk about a couple current things going on that I've seen in the news. But uh, we're walking over here, and we see this giant freaking statue of Lincoln and this present-day dude, uh, Lincoln and my grandpa, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, how long has it been here? I kind of have a ballpark idea, but uh, yeah, what's the story behind that? So, so I, I probably am not allowed to say this, but internally we call him Big Giant Abe. So, big, <laughs> big Giant Abe. I guess that's what BGA. Um, he arrived. 
the days blur together for me, Nick. Uh, I want to say two weeks ago, I think he arrived. Um, and I, we watched him go up. We all sat there, uh, and watched them, them put up. They put up, um, the guy with him who I don't know if he has a name. We, we'll, we just, we'll call him Grandpa Stang. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Uh Tweed Pants. He 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 went up um he went up first. They lifted him off a, a flatbed and stood him up. And then then they lifted Abe up, but his his arm Abe is is uh, I'm talking as if people know what this thing looks like. So it's yeah, it's Abe standing next to a guy who's supposed to be modern man and Abe is directing him with his hat somewhere. Um and the arm with the hat actually came like separate. Like, really? you know, a, a G.I. Joe or something. And so they they drilled on first they lifted up Abe and they drilled on the arms and then they then they stood him up. Uh and it took like a, the whole morning. It was one of the the craziest things I've ever seen. Um but it's uh so it's based on a statue in Gettysburg, mm-hmm. right? So it's there's a statue in Gettysburg in the main square and what Lincoln is pointing out with his hat in Gettysburg is the Wills house, which is where he stayed when he was in Gettysburg when he gave the Gettysburg address. And then the statue is called return visit. Uh, and it's by a guy named, um, well, I'm already blank on his name, Seward Johnson. I should really remember that because both Seward and Johnson are Lincoln people, right? Um, so Seward Johnson did the statue in Gettysburg and it's life size in Gettysburg, but then he did this extremely blown up version, um, which was in Chicago in front of the Tribune building for a while. Then it was in Peoria. Uh, and now we've got it until I believe the end of next summer. So, uh, if you want to come see the biggest Abe you've ever seen, um, come to LPLM and, and have a look at it. <laughs> well, I definitely got to get a picture with it. So later. Yeah. So. And, that, and that's kind of the deal. It's the, the visitors bureau helped us out with this. Um, and it's uh, the Springfield visitors bureau. And it's, it's very much supposed to be a, a selfie opportunity. You know, we're encouraging people to, to tweet it out, hashtag visit Springfield or, you know, tag us at ALPLM. Um, and folks are doing it, you know, uh, it's funny to watch people drive down, uh, Jefferson street or, um, or Sixth Street, you can see them all, you know, kind of whiplash. Like, what the heck is that thing? You know, so uh, it's it's been interesting to watch people react to it. It's it's definitely not what you're used to seeing around here. So, yeah, it had to be wild watching them put up Abe and then like yeah, drilling his <laughs> arms and stuff. So, and then the next day they like cleaned him too. So like he got to like gave Abe like a they had this stick basically. They gave him a sponge bath with and. Uh, it's weird. There's there's another giant Lincoln in town. I don't know if you know in the, yeah. in the fairgrounds, yeah, right? I've and seen so, been out there. So. Yeah. So I think at some point we should have them fight. We should have Ooh, the, <laughs> giant Abe and and you know old Abe versus young Abe. So we'll see. Instead of the new Godzilla movie, exactly. It's just right. Like Abe versus Abe, giant Abe see, versus giant Abe. We're on the same page. Yeah. It'd probably get better reviews. <laughs> I don't think the Godzilla did very well. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> poor, poor Godzilla. <laughs> no, that's see to me the pictures I'd want is like them putting him together and cleaning him. That would be the oh, that was that, yeah yeah that was the highlight and and just seeing them like that you know they just basically like tied these cables on him and lifted him off the flatbed. So you just kind of see Lincoln like just hanging from midair as they put him on his little. Um, I'm doing hand motions. This is a podcast, so you know yeah. no one can see me but you. But anyway, <laughs> they, you know, and they put him on his little foundation there, or not so little foundation. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been kind of wild to have it here. Um, you know, I'm interested. I think like you are in Lincoln and popular culture and Lincoln and memory and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting to me. I mean, you know, I don't want to get all academic-y here too, but it's also been interesting to me to see this very kind of non-traditional representation of Lincoln just plopped right in front of our museum and, you know, watching how people react to it. They react completely different to it than they do the more traditional statues across the street, right, in the in the park. Uh, uh, so, which, I mean, people get selfies with those too, but it's definitely, this has a much kind of different character. Yeah. So it's, it's a, I'll, I'll kind of be, you know, passively uh, monitoring uh, <laughs> that situation over the next year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a little wild. Um, so I know we had you on the show before, mm-hmm. and that was a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and... We were talking before we got on here. We can't remember if your title has changed, if if it had changed at that time. Okay. But why don't you fill us in? What's your role here? Yeah. Um, what are you doing now? And kind of what does that all entail? Sure. I'm I'm the Lincoln historian here, um, which uh, uh, basically every when. <laughs> 
when I tell people that, they usually assume that means, you know, I know everything there is to know about, about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and, and I assure you, I don't. Uh, there's, as, as you probably know better than most, there's always more you can learn about Abraham Lincoln. It's, it's amazing. And we can, we can talk more about that aspect of him later. Um, but uh, generally, I do what they need a historian to do around here. So, you know, I, I, I'm trained in history. I've got a PhD in history. And um, so anything they need someone to research and write stuff for, um, they call on me. And as the Lincoln historian, before my title was research historian, now that I'm a Lincoln historian, it's much more narrowly into Lincoln and his era. So, uh, you know, I, I help write exhibits. Um, the, uh, I, I do programming here. I have a couple programs I run. Um, the one, the big one is the Illinois history forum. Uh, we meet every two months and we talk about a different subject in Illinois history. Um, uh, the next one is the second Thursday in July. Uh, we're actually going to be doing it at the Illinois state military museum. And we're going to talk about Illinois and world war one. So again, not Lincoln, you know, as I'm always kind of doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, and then, uh, but I also do a lot of research on our own collection. You know, when, you, when you're in a facility this big with a collection like ours, um, it, it one of the things, and I kind of had to learn this. You know, I was trained to be a historian, not really a museum person or a librarian. Um, you know, uh, we don't even. Uh, you learn you learn about our own co- collection. It's so vast that we don't know obviously everything there is to know about even the stuff we have. So I do. I spend a lot of my time researching our own stuff too, and, and trying to figure out you know, either more about its individual story or fit it into a bigger context. And, um, so that's all cool. The, the most fun thing I get to do, uh, with the state historian, um, Dr. Samuel Wheeler is, um, you know, we do, uh, a lot of the, the, what we call the change outs. When you go through the museum, you know, our, our museum, um, is an experience driven museum. It's an immersive museum, right? So you go through and it's all, um, you know, you're basically experiencing Lincoln's life with him is what it's supposed to do. And so it's not an artifact driven museum, but there are artifacts kind of spread throughout. And then there's the, tr- when you leave, we, you go in the treasures gallery, right? Which is where we are supposed to put you know, our best stuff. Um, I get to work on that now. I get to, to help select what goes into those cases. Um, and I get to write the labels for them, which is partially how I end up doing these deep dives on the items in our collection. And that is just immensely fun that, you know, we get all that stuff out, we put it all out, um, on a table, uh, and you know, all right, so you want to put Lincoln's, you know, shaving mirror out or instead, you know, you want to put the chair from Ford's theater or, you know, it's always that kind of, and it's just really, really cool to, to get to engage with that stuff and it's been really fun then to put it out there to research them write the little labels and then see how people you know react to them so that that's by far been the coolest thing i've got to do so far so is it how are those decisions made for is it literally just laying it out like you two go in there and go you know what i like this item why not do this or is there like i can i can get into the nitty-gritty with you yeah we um so so me and and dr wheeler meet um, usually I'll come up with like a preliminary list because mm-hmm. the, so the treasures gallery, the theme there is just supposed to be, you know, best of the best. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the other areas in the museum are themed. So there's, you know, there's a, a political life case that's supposed to reflect mm-hmm. Lincoln's political life, particularly going into the election of 1860. Um, there's a bunch of cases near the end of the museum that are supposed to represent basically everything from Gettysburg to the end of the war. Um, and so I'll kind of make a preliminary list of things I think would be cool, and then Sam and I meet and talk about it. But then the real nitty-gritty is, is yes, we literally meet and we put them all out on a table, um, but we meet with our exhibits people um, and our registrar and our conservator. And then they tell, you know, Sam and I are both historians, so we're just, what would be cool to tell a story about whatever. They give us the harsh reality of, um, you know, well, yeah, you can't put this piece on display because it's it's not in good enough shape. Or, you know, no, we just had this piece on display six months ago, so it needs to rest. You know, one of the things people don't realize about a, a, a museum like this is, you know, you can't keep items out all the time. They get light damage. Um, you know, they're not cli- – the, the climate control in the stacks, which is the basement of the building you're in, the library, you know, they're much more climate controlled than the galleries, although the galleries are too. But um, – so, you know, the, one of the most common questions I get is why isn't the Gaysburg Address just on display all year round, right? Um, and, you know, the Gaysburg Address is our most treasured, you know, thing. And so we only put it on display for one or two weeks around the anniversary every year. Um, and so those kind of decisions, you know, that's 
that's not my purview. You know, that's not something I'm trained to do. Um, so then you kind of work out the practical side of it mm-hmm. or, you know, can all this even fit in a case and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then we eventually, you know, we all work really well together though. I think we have a great team here. Um, I really enjoy those meetings and, uh, you know, then we come to a consensus. So, um, we've done a, a couple areas already. We've got a few on deck that we already have lined up what's going in and the labels are written and, um, yeah, we just kind of keep trucking along. So, yeah, the collaboration part I think would be fun and just like yeah. talking, oh, talking yeah. Lincoln and history and what do you want to put out there? That's yeah. cool. When you like research an item, I'm always curious about this. So like you have all these items there, like how do you decide, oh, I'm going to dive deeper in this? Is it just you going through, oh, look at this item. We got nothing on it. <laughs> this is interesting. I'm Today it piques my interest. Yeah. So let's dive in on this pencil. Or I wish I had the luxury – of it just being what piques my interest. Uh, I'm, I'm this, the other thing I learned working in a museum is there's always something going on. There's, there isn't a lot of downtime. And so I'm always on one assignment or another, or usually multiple at the same time. And so with the, um, with the item level research, my experience has mostly been it's when it needs to be done. So either this thing, let's put this thing on display. Oh, okay. Well, let me dig into it a little more. Cause maybe there's some aspect about it that I think needs to be fleshed out or, or just that I'm curious about. Um, and then, I mean, this institution has been around since the late 1800s too. So a lot of the stuff, like it's as basic as like, where did we get this? You know? And so I'll know a little bit of the story, but I'll have to try to figure out more by using maybe contemporary newspapers that will say like, Oh yeah, the, we used to be the Illinois state historical library. So it's like, yeah, the Illinois state historical library just got this donation, you know, and then that'll help me flesh out, where something we have came from, but it's usually, yeah, cause we're going to put on display. Somebody asks us about it. And so I got to do a deep dive. Um, and so it's been interesting. It's kind of random, um, the stuff that comes up, uh, sometimes, but, uh, but it's been really interesting. I've really learned a lot. You know, I, I, before this, I think I mentioned when I was on before, I used to work for the papers, Abraham Lincoln project here. I've worked directly for the museum as a historian since November of 2016. And it's been a real crash course in how museums and libraries work. You know, the, the, my historical training helps, but there is a, a lot of, there were a lot of, um, uh, things I had to kind of get, you know, almost trial by fire on. Uh, and it's, it's been interesting. So, and uh, yeah, and it's fun though. I love it. Is there thoughts put into what will attract people coming in the museum? Is that discussed a lot? I know you talked about obviously the wear and tear. It, yeah. It determines stuff. And how much of that plays a role? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of reductive for me to say, like, we try to pick what's cool, but we really have tried to have a focus on what's cool. One of the things with this last, if you you come to the museum before the end of this calendar year and you go in the Treasures Gallery, um, you know, that's probably the biggest example. We, our philosophy going into this year has kind of been, um, less is more, but like less items, but more impact. And so um, the the items we tried to pick for the Treasures Gallery this year, we really wanted to like wow people um, and to be things that could really um, show well and kind of give you an immediate impact. So, um, you know, so to give you some examples, so like to me as a historian, uh, you know, it, it was stuff I think is cool, right? Uh, or that Sam thinks is cool, or or we get recommendations, you know, from the exhibits team too. So you know, like if you walk into the the inner the the way the treasures gallery is organized, right? There's like an outer area, and then there's like the inner sanctum, which has three cases in it, which are usually Lincoln items. And the first item you see now when you walk in is Lincoln's shaving mirror uh, from his house. Uh, and I love giving people tours of that area because, um, you know, you, you, you walk in and it's facing you and eventually you see yourself in it. And then, you know, I'll usually explain to them what it is and say, like, so you're looking in the same reflection that he did, you know, and it was probably in the house – um, the, but the story we have on it is that he was going to throw it out when he moved to DC. So it was in the house right up until he moved to DC. So it's probably the very same mirror he grew his beard in. Right. And so, you know, you can, as a beard guy, you'll appreciate yeah. that. So, <laughs> you know, you can make that point to people and it's just a real, like, you know, it's, it's like, it's not quite as powerful, but it's like when you go to the Lincoln home and they tell you to touch the, the, the handrail on the, on the staircase, right. You know, that he touched, you know, you can really give them that personal, um, so I love that item. That's one of those items that just, you know, we hope strikes you right away. Um, we also tried to include some stuff 
that was kind of Lincoln adjacent. Um, so one of one of my favorite items that's in this collection that we don't show very often is we have a letter, um, and I've I've never quite been able to take enough time to prove whether it's the only one, but we have a letter signed by both Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant. Um, and we put that on display. Lee writes Grant a letter um, shortly after Appomattox because he's worried he's going to get tried for treason. Um, and he reminds Grant, you know, hey, according to the Appomattox Treaty, you know, this wouldn't be the case. Uh, can you please pass this along to um, – to President Johnson, and Grant writes this extremely lengthy defense of Lee's position on the back of it. Um, just a fascinating letter, and says so much about post-war, Civil War, and you know all this kind of stuff. Um, and so, I really wanted that to be on display. I mean, just a cool item that's not really a Lincoln item, but it's you know Lincoln adjacent. Um, so yeah, cool stuff like that. Uh, you probably remember from when I was on before that I'm really interested in music history. Yeah. So we have a huge bass drum uh, from an Illinois regiment. So I put that on, or we, we chose that to put on display, uh, and it looks awesome. We even have the the hammer that they hit it with and everything. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, so come, it's cool stuff, and it's just so fun to work with it. So now I'm going to take a picture of myself in the mirror, Photoshop Lincoln over the top. <laughs> just no flash. Uh, <laughs> yes. no, I, I won't use the flash, of course. Hopefully, I'll make sure it's turned off. <laughs> Kira, make sure it's turned off. Yeah, you don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> um, okay, so this kind of plays nicely into, I know there was recently, I think last week, an article in the Tribune mm-hmm. about a couple Lincoln letters that he sent to the Tribune, mm-hmm. um, and he he was a little angry. <laughs> um, so I'll kind of let you... Uh, why was he so angry? Yeah, these yeah. are really interesting letters. Um, they're not well known because I don't think any of them... And I'm sure one of your listeners will yell at me on Twitter if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of them were in the collected works of Abraham Lincoln uh, that that uh, Roy Basler published in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're in t- Kentigny, they're um, uh, here in Illinois. Uh, they they aren't new. Um, you know, our papers, Abraham Lincoln Project, knew about them and scanned them, and historians know about them, but they haven't been published anywhere. And uh, the Tribune found out about them um, and reached out to us about them. And they're amazing letters. What there's um, – I don't remember the precise dates, but there's about five of them. And they're between Lincoln and the editors of the Tribune. Um, and they tell you a lot about Lincoln. They're all in the 50s. They're all in the 1850s. And they really tell you a lot about Lincoln as a person and Lincoln as a politician because um, they're Lincoln – uh, a, a couple of them are Lincoln writing to the editors and he's mad at them um, because he doesn't like the tribute. Sh- I should back up here and, and you know, the, we, we talk a lot today about media bias and fake news and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Right. And um, what, what a lot, what a lot of people today don't realize is the concept of an impartial media is a 20th century concept. Um, uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying it's not. In the 19th century, there was no expectation at all that the media would be impartial. Mm-hmm. Um, every newspaper was affiliated with one party or the other. And um, and that was just well-known, well-publicized. Um, and that's why you bought them would be to get – you wanted the Republican or the Whig or the Democrat point so of view. So you tell me Fox News and MSNBC <laughs> aren't some new idea. No, they're actually a reversion back to the old, the way it used to work. Exactly. Um, and so the Tribune was a Republican paper. Um, and so Lincoln is writing to the Tribune because when the Tribune is saying things – in its articles, which really almost everything in the newspaper then is, an, it, you could what we would call an editorial today. They're all part, you know opinion based, basically. Um, when they say things that Lincoln thinks isn't in line with this emerging party, right? It, 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 it he'll you know one of the things about the Republican Party is this is a new thing in the 1850s, and you know people are competing. It's a co- like all political movements. It's a coalition, and different ideas are competing for supremacy within this new party. Um, and Lincoln definitely represents one wing of that party, and so he's writing to the Tribune when he thinks they go off script, um, and so that tells you a lot about um, um, Lincoln's role in shaping the Republican Party. The the kind of traditional narrative of the 1850s is that Lincoln kind of checks out until Kansas, Nebraska kind of remobilizes him. Um, and then, you know, 1858 is when he really dives in to run against Douglas. And these letters show Lincoln is deeply engaged and really is a leader of the Republican Party here. And it's this is what Lincoln's doing. You know, part of the reason that myth had been around that Lincoln wasn't doing anything is because Lincoln isn't going around making a lot of speeches or anything. He campaigns for Fremont, um, you know, but there's, you know, not a lot going on until 1858. Um 
well, that's because what Lincoln's actually doing is um, writing letters behind the scenes, shaping this new party. And um, the kind of stuff he's getting mad at them for uh, in particular is there's a movement in the party to bring over uh, Stephen Douglas that the more moderate Democrats, because the Democratic Party is splitting too, right, and will end up completely splitting in the election of 1860, there's a movement among Republicans, well, let's sway these more moderate Democrats over. And Lincoln is saying you can't do that because a guy like Douglas would tolerate slavery expanding westward um, out, of, out of the South. And one of the key principles of our party has to be that we won't allow that to happen. And so that's one of the main things he's upset about is, is that kind of misrepresentation. Um, so it's interesting. And the other thing it tells you about Lincoln is Lincoln is, is legit mad in these letters. If you read the, the – he's – you know, it's like, what in the world are you, you know, printing this for? You know, he's really losing it on these guys. He's letting them know I'm in charge and you, know, you guys better pull it together. Again, today this is not the way we'd expect a politician to act, but it's absolutely in line with – with 19th century guys or maybe we would <laughs> well yeah but it's it's supposed they're not supposed to do that kind of thing no one would have thought twice about lincoln doing that kind of thing back then and especially you know honest abe here he is calling newspapermen and yelling at them for the way they're reporting things but that's what he was doing and it's good stuff you know you always get this idea like honest abe like he's calm and collected like i always wonder what's like his attitude when he's writing these letters because you know he's got some harsh ones that he's written some yeah. generals that he doesn't send and stuff yeah. like I'm always wondering, is he just like angry? Oh, like the pencil's yeah. breaking as he's writing this. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think Lincoln, um, I think Lincoln could lose his temper, and you could hear that, the, the, you know, there's, there's, there's some evidence uh, of him doing it. But Lincoln was also very careful about what he wrote down, and so I think um, if there are more letters out there of Lincoln getting mad, they've probably been destroyed. Or Lincoln never wrote them. That's the other thing you hear is that Lincoln would write these angry letters, put them in a drawer, and then he would write a calmer letter. Um, but, uh, you know, these are examples of Lincoln, you know, expressing his anger. <clears throat> excuse me. But it's also calculated. I mean, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln wants them to know you've really crossed me. I'm basically the de facto leader of the Republican Party in the state. So, you know, get in line, guys. This is, you know, this isn't the kind of uh, stuff I want you to be saying. Um, so, you know, the anger, I'm not saying it isn't genuine, but it's also calculated. You know, you've really upset me on this, guys, so clean it up. <laughs> I think you mentioned something there that he kind of was the de facto leader of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people forget that, like, like you were saying, they don't realize that's what's happening yeah. in the background there in the 1850s. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln is a powerful guy in the 1850s just because he isn't in office. Um, you know, one of, one of the things um, in Lincoln's life – um, is Lincoln spends the first, you know, the, the, the 30s and especially the 40s building uh, a, a coalition of followers here in Illinois. It's, it's one of the ways that being a lawyer is really useful to him. Lincoln goes all over the state and he meets these people, you know, this, these old Whigs like him. These guys all stay a kind of network together. Um, and so Lincoln is still able to mobilize that um, whenever he wants. And they're writing letters to each other. And Lincoln is clearly – you know, uh, one of the top dogs, if not the top dog. Um, and I should, I should give credit. I'm, I'm borrowing a lot from, uh, from my friend, uh, uh, Dr. Matthew Pinsker, who is a professor at Dickinson college, who is about to publish a book on this very subject called boss Lincoln. So I'd be, uh, I want to give him props, uh, cause a lot of these ideas I got from him and his excellent research. I'm really looking forward to this book coming out. Um, and this is a lot of what he's going to write about is to try to overturn this idea that Lincoln, um, was kind of a passive actor. No, Lincoln is an active politician, actively shaping um, the creation and the course of the Republican Party in Illinois and then in the whole nation. He's like a master master of hustling. Yeah, a little bit. Um, well, and he's also um, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking, you know, like a lot of times, like I reached out to you. You know, networking is such yeah. a thing, and it's a huge thing in politics. And like, um, you know, when it comes to freelance videography or mm-hmm. you know the podcast that we do and then i mean that's essentially what he's doing yeah he's networking and creating right. context and and he had a good personality for that one of one of the the things about lincoln you know so again the, you, you hear these stories about lincoln but in this context they kind of look a little different you know you always hear these stories about lincoln about his joke telling and his storytelling and how lincoln um 
at least for dudes, Lincoln was a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> and um, that's politically useful to Lincoln. Lincoln is the guy that if Lincoln is here in town or if he's out on the circuit and you go to the local hotel or whatever, Lincoln is the guy sitting in front of the fireplace telling stories. And when Lincoln's doing that, he's not just doing it because it's fun. He's doing it because all these guys who are sitting around listening to him end up in awe of him and they end up being allies. And so Lincoln's personality, you know, you can go right back to when he's in the Blackhawk War and he wins that his first election he wins, right, when he becomes captain of his company that's Lincoln learning. I mean, he wins that election because they all like Lincoln because Lincoln's their buddy and they all know him from New Salem. Um, that doesn't change for Lincoln. Lincoln stays everybody's buddy. Um, and that helps carry him through, you know, the 1850s. Um, and, and is part of what puts him in the position he ends up in. He's an easy guy to get along with apparently. So another thing for that Tribune article, it mentioned that sometimes Lincoln would that they believe there's some evidence of him burning letters mm-hmm. that were very harsh. Um, is that true? I don't know if you stated that or if the newspaper did. And uh, how, how true do you think that is? Yeah, um, I think there's some truth to it. We know that when Lincoln moved to Washington, he took a bunch of his stuff out into his backyard and burned it. Um, I mentioned the shaving mirror earlier. That's what he was going to do with that. And then a neighbor went and was like, hey, you just got like the present. Can I have something? He was like, hey, here, take this. And they got a shaving mirror. Um, and uh, there were surely some letters in that. I mean, once Lincoln became president, and this was common among 19th century figures, that they knew, you know, okay, I'm president now, so my letters are going to get preserved. Um, and so people are, are shaping their legacies. Um, and so Lincoln knows – um, okay, I want to make sure, you know, I'm representing myself the way I want to be represented. Uh, so he probably did burn some letters then. And of course, Robert famously burned um, some of Mary's letters later in life. And who knows, he could have burned some of Lincoln's stuff too, or some of Abraham's stuff. Um, but we don't really know. Uh, he's not, Lincoln's better than some. I mean, uh, Washington is is kind of infamous for being one who, you know, um, Martha burned just a ton of Washington stuff. So we don't know, you know, much about them, but we do know, like for instance, with Lincoln, the, the one of the big gaps with Lincoln, which is a similar gap between George and Martha is like, we have almost no love letters between him and Mary, um, which uh, with apologies to some folks out there who I know will disagree with me. I think that's one of the reasons why we think their relationship is maybe more controversial than we do because, um, you know, now the response would be, well, that's because those letters never existed, but they probably did and they probably got burnt. Mm-hmm. And if we had more letters from Abraham telling Mary how much he was into her, uh, <laughs> maybe that would uh, help Mary's uh, standing with some historians. But those letters are, are gone. They're probably some of the stuff that Robert burned and maybe Abraham did too. Um, yeah, so if you're uh, interested in building a legacy, uh, don't do emails. Those are a lot harder to burn. That's my advice to everybody. <laughs> Stay off the electronic social media. Um, so kind of going along this line, we've talked a lot kind of, you know, a Lincoln, how people, you know, perceive it to what it really is. You're the Lincoln historian. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you get questions asked a lot. You know, we've talked many times on the show We'll be on, like, you know, we try to be active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We get quotes attached to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. We're like, I don't think that. Yeah. So how has that been for you? Um, how often does that come up? What are some, I don't know where we want to start. Maybe start with, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, Lincoln quotes. Have you come across? What, what quote yeah. do you see attributed to Lincoln that is just not Lincoln? Oh, there's tons of them. Um, the, the, we get a lot of them here and yeah, one of my jobs, which I didn't talk about earlier yet is, is I'm kind of the, the, um, I'm trying to get the right word for it. I'm like the first line for a lot of people when they, when they, uh, want to learn something about Lincoln or if they have a question about Lincoln, they'll find us online and they'll email me or they'll call me. Um, cause I'll look at the staff list and they'll go, Oh, he's a Lincoln historian. So let's call him. Um, and that's fine. And I'm, uh, you know, it's one of my duties here is to respond to people's inquiries about Lincoln, you know, within reason, you know, I'm not going to, 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 you know, do your research for you if it's a big research project, but if you have a quick question and I know the answer to it, or if I can find it out quickly, I'm happy to help you out. Um, and a lot of those are, is this quote true? Um, 
is this photograph of Abraham Lincoln. We get a lot of photographs uh, of guys with beards. And is this guy Abraham Lincoln? Um, and I've sent you like five of myself, and you have not gone back to me. Yeah, so, so I'm a little I, upset. I, well, <laughs> with all due respect, yeah, the resemblance isn't there. So, and usually, a lot of times, it's not Lincoln, or at least I don't think it's Lincoln. And so I'll respond and say, I don't think it's Lincoln. Um, one of the things we can't do here, you know, I'm a state employee, I'm a employee of the state of Illinois, so I can't. Um, appraise anything or authenticate anything. Um, so I can never give you a hundred percent. Yes, you have a, you know, but I can kind of give you my theory on it or, or tell you some places you can look. But yeah, quotes to come back to your actual question, quotes are the most common. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a lot of Lincoln quotes out there about like, there's one about perseverance, which is escaping me right now, which is fake. Um, but the one I get the most. It, which I had never heard of before I moved here is this poem, um, which is supposed to be it, it doesn't they don't have it as a poem, but that's what it is in actuality um, is a letter Lincoln is supposed to have written to I want to say Willie's teacher on the first day of school. Um, and it's this, you know, teach him, you know, to be a good man and whatever I could I could pull it up on my phone and, and get the actual words. But um it's a meme. There's, and it's always the same meme. It's got Lincoln on like the side and it's black and it's got the, you know, and, um, it's at, it's not Lincoln. It's, it's some poet, uh, from the early 20th century. Uh, but we get it all the time. I guess, I mean, you might know better than I do. I guess teachers use it a lot. Um, and it's kind of made the rounds. Um, and you, it's, it's interesting, you know, as a 21st century historian, you know, Google is a really valuable resource, you know, um, so giving Google a free plug, I guess, but that's fine. Um, and, uh, you know, you can use Google books. Uh, Google books is a fabulous resource. If you type these quotes into Google books, you can almost like, um, track the lifespan of some of these quotes. You can see when it, when they first start appearing in books and then how they just kind of get carried on. And that's how myths get started. You know, the, the, um, all you know, Mary, Abraham, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories about them out there that um, some you can verify with primary sources and some you can't. And a lot of them are one book citing another book uh, without actually going back to see, you know, well, is there an actual document where this is said? Or do we have a letter where Lincoln actually says this? And um, we get a lot of that kind of stuff. I spend a lot of my time chasing random quotes or random facts about Abraham Lincoln or Mary or somebody and trying to figure out you know, where did this first appear or did this first appear? And there's some great reason. If you want to be a person who can figure that stuff out, there's some great resources out there. The collected works of Abraham Lincoln are online. Um, the papers, Abraham Lincoln project here is really useful for that. The Lincoln log, which we do here, um, tells you where Lincoln was every day. And that's a good one. Cause I get people asking me all the time, you know, there's this local, there's a story that Lincoln came to my hometown and, you know, while he was here, he, he like sat under this tree, you know, can you confirm that? And I can go to the Lincoln log and see, cause it doesn't just tell you where he was, but then it will give you a citation, like what, what newspaper we know that from or whatever. Uh, and that's really useful. Um, and just searchable online newspapers too. You know, I do a lot of that. We had a question, Last week from Rochester, which if you don't know the area is, you know, right outside of Springfield here and whether Lincoln campaigned there in the 1830s, if he made a campaign speech there and we used the local newspapers to try to figure out if he did, we couldn't find any evidence that he did. But um, it's that kind of random stuff just comes in and, you know, every community, especially in Illinois, has a Lincoln story. And, you know, some of them are true. Or some, well, I won't say some of them are true. Some of them are verifiable and some of them aren't. So, yeah. <laughs> I think some people, I don't know, like – High school kids I know since I'm a teacher or, you know, just uh, some people that come across, they'll be like, so what? So what? You know, um, how would you respond to that as a historian? So we get this little tale of him underneath the tree. Why is that so damaging? Why does it matter? Yeah, well, um, I mean, you know, as a historian, you, you want to um, make sure that you're as close to being able to, you know, say something true. Uh, and there's a different burden, I think, on me as someone who works in a museum than, um, you know, yeah, some kid in a local town who knows they've got a Lincoln story. Um, you know, polls always say, I tr we try to remind ourselves of this a lot, that, that um, polls frequently say that museums are, I want to say, the most trusted source of historical knowledge. Most people have more faith in what a museum tells them than a book uh, or a professor or, you know, anything else or a podcast. Um, and, uh, 
Um, I, I really, you know, it, that's something to really remind yourself of here a lot is, and it's something I try to work really hard on. It's, it's one of the reasons why I said earlier, I'm taking, you know, I try to take deep dives into some of our artifacts and stuff. You know, if there's a story we tell here, you know, can I verify that story? Um, or if I can't verify that story, um, can I say at least where the story comes from? And, you know, then can the visitor, you know, determine that. And so that's that's one of the things I try to do for these people when they contact me, too. If they've got like a real if it's not just, you know, here's a here's a Lincoln quote. Is this real or not? Um, but although even in that case, if I know where the quote comes from, I'll tell them like I want to give um, uh, knowing the context of these things is important and is part of getting at, you know, maybe maybe the the cool thing about the story in your hometown isn't whether it's true or not, but when did it start and why did it start? Um, maybe it's true and maybe it's not, but that story, you know, all these stories have reasons why they come about and they get used in different ways. And that's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, in and of itself. And, and yeah, of course you can't verify all these stories. It doesn't mean they're not all true. Mm-hmm. Um, Lincoln's a guy I used to, uh, uh before I, I really got into the Lincoln world, um, you know, I, I'd done a little bit of research on, I used to talk a lot about, um, Jesse James, uh, was a person, my, for reasons, I think I got into the last time I was on, but my family was really into Jesse James growing up. And so I know a little bit about Jesse James and I did a lot of research on Elvis Presley too, at one point, um, uh, cause you know, doing my music research and like, I used to say that like James and Presley are guys who, um, there's so much, um, myth around them. There's so much, it's really hard to, figure out what's true about them and what's not, you know, did, did Elvis really fly all the way to Vegas to get that? Was it bacon and banana and peanut butter sandwich or whatever, you know, these stories, uh, you know, can you verify them? And like, now I see that as like, that was all just training for me to deal with Lincoln (laughs) because there's so many stories about Lincoln and they can't all be true. I mean, Lincoln can't have been in all these places at once. Uh, and, um, that I, it's, it's been amazing to me how much of my time I've spent since I've been here trying to parse out different stories about Lincoln and from different places and even from within this very building. And then like, what's true about them, what's verifiable, you know, or even just tweaking them to try to figure out, and then figure out what context they belong in, you know, is, is what, is, what are we really trying to say with the story? How, what does the story mean for Lincoln's legacy? Um, you know, I think for me, you know, you say the kid, that kid can say, so what, but I, I cannot yeah. say that I work in a museum. The, so, so what is all that matters to me, right. Is, is whether, you know, how much truth is there behind this thing and, and how am I going to present it? Well, I always think like, I always think, you know, you tell one lie, it might be small, yeah. but if you want to try to maintain that lie, <laughs> you know, how many other lies does that lead to? Right. If you say, so what about this, what else are you going to say, so what about that? that, that that's how I try to explain to the kids. I, I, think, I think that's a good point. And then when you're dealing with someone like Lincoln, uh, which is the other thing I always have to remind myself here, like this, is, this museum is um, devoted to the most famous American who ever lived. Um, you know, the statistic is thrown around a lot. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, he's only second behind Jesus as having the most books written about him in the English language. So there are going to be folks who come into our museum who are going to be looking for mistakes. And that's and, – and, you know – in part, I have to kind of accept the fact that we all make mistakes and we all can't know everything about everything. So maybe there's going to be times that I'm going to write a label or I'm going to say something in a presentation that I'm going to be wrong. And if someone calls me out on it, that's great. I'll say, you know what? That's awesome. I'll go fix that label. Or, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have said this. This is what, you know, thank you so much. But for, you know, that, that burden of, of knowing, you know, people are going to know if I get something wrong or whatever. And, and, you know, I try to always keep that in mind, uh, with everything I do here, you know, that we're under a real microscope here. We're the Abraham Lincoln presidential library. You know, that's, that's a, that's a big, uh, legacy to carry. Um, so do you think there's something to be learned about the myths that get started about maybe not so much about Lincoln, but society in general? Well, I think, um, I think a lot of these myths, um, you know, I said how they're used earlier. Part of what I meant by that is I think people either invent um, or more often I think even than invent, they appropriate these myths. The myths are kind of out there, at least in Lincoln's case. I think a lot of these myths just come from, you know, there's so many recollections of Lincoln out there. And um, uh, you know, either locally or by his buddies that William Herndon went out and collected and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
so these myths are out there, but I think people use them for different reasons. Um, and I think that's true in a broader society too, that, that people like, like to use history as a way to legitimize their point of view or to make some kind of point or in, in the case of Lincoln, maybe to elevate um, you know, some kind of status they're affiliated with, like the status of their hometown or their family, you know, because, you know, oh, yeah, Lincoln stayed in my great grandpa's house, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, these stories are useful to people as more than just historical examples. Um, and I'm not saying everybody does that. It's kind of a cynical answer. I don't mean it to it probably came across more cynically than I meant it to, because I think I think that can be a good thing, too. I think people can take different elements of the Lincoln story and they can use that to learn from and and to kind of create examples for themselves or examples for their community. It's a, it's a way to up, uplift maybe some things too. Um, but you know these uh, you know as, again as a historian, you just want to tell the story and you want it to be accurate. But for your average person, you know who isn't immersed in this all day long, they're going to take the bits and pieces that are most useful to them, and they don't really know what's a myth and what's not. So if there's a story out there about Lincoln that's useful to them in some way, they're absolutely going to pluck it. Um, and if I say to them, yeah, you know that story isn't really true, um, you know I might get some pushback because you know they need that story for some reason or another, whether it's personally or professionally or whatever. I find that fascinating because. We do a lot of oral histories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then obviously interviewing a World War II person in 2000 compared to when they just came out of the war, mm-hmm. obviously their life experience sense has changed mm-hmm. how they remember that. And I think that says a lot about them as individuals um, or society. Like I find it fascinating, like World War II guys, they, I think that greatest generation label on them oh, yeah. dictates how they do the interview with the kids as opposed to the Vietnam guys yeah. who get, and ladies who give it to us everything. Like, yeah. they don't care. And I, I find that fascinating. I think some of that's with Lincoln and, like, how people use his quotes and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. we mentioned last week on the episode, like, the, the Chinese government official quoted Lincoln or yeah. used Lincoln in reference to Taiwan. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just kind of fascinating. Like, so why is he using that quote? Is he trying to appeal to the American public? You know right. what I mean? So I, I, I find that kind of a more fascinating element obviously from historical perspective there's no way to come to a clear-cut answer on why that's being done but i think at least an interesting discussion oh yeah well and lincoln is such a big deal like i said before you know with his how many books been written about him or whatever like everybody knows lincoln and so he's really useful like lincoln uh, everyone uses lincoln in some way or another anywhere in the world you know you can find you can pluck pieces of the Lincoln story and make it apply to whatever you're trying to do. And, um, and there's all kinds of examples of him being used that way. I mean, Lincoln is just a fascinating case study in, in historical memory and myth-making and, um, and appropriation. Uh, and it's, it's, it's part of what makes him interesting, but it's also part of what makes him tricky to, to work in an institution like this. You know, you got to always be aware of that kind of stuff. The cherry-picking of history, we've mentioned this, especially me and Mary rec- uh, recently on a lot of episodes – I think that's a major problem we're facing is cherry picking's happening and not recognizing mm-hmm. that it's happening. And I, I don't know how you correct it. And I, I don't know if you feel the same way, I guess. Do you feel the same way like that's becoming a major problem currently with how we look at stuff? I don't think it's new. I think people have always done that. Uh, I think the Internet has empowered it. I think that yeah. it's it's very easy now. You know, so so – um, to come back to uh, to what I mentioned earlier with quotes, mm-hmm. you know, if if I get one of these Lincoln quotes, one of the um, you know the first thing I'll do is I'll go to the online edition of Collected Works and I'll type it in to see if it shows up in Collected Works if it's one I'm not already familiar with. But the next thing I'll do is I'll Google it, and when you Google these, you know, let's it's it's a in this case let's say it's a fake quote, right? If you Google a fake quote, you get pages and pages of hits of that quote. And on all these sites like Brainy Quote and all these you know pages that I was never familiar with until I worked here, um, and um, for most people, and and this isn't a criticism. It's just the you know the way I'm not saying this to say like oh I know better than these people. Like it's just the way the world works. If if you have a quote that you're interested in, you know, if you're looking, if you find some quote about Abraham Lincoln and you're like oh look at that, I'm going to Google it, and it's on 50 different sites. Um, of course you're going to think it's yeah. real, right? I mean, unless you're a trained historian, you wouldn't know to doubt that. And so I think a lot of these stories that are online um, about different, you know, we're talking about Lincoln, but yeah, like you said, it's across the board. Um, 
you know, they, they get uh, – the, the internet becomes an echo chamber in this sense. People talk about the internet as an echo chamber but in a different way. But I think in this way it is too that these, these mythical stories get bounced back and forth. Um, and it's a lot of the same, you know, people talk about fake news. This is a lot of the same thing that amplifies fake news too, right? Or what we call fake news where these fake stories about what's currently happening get mm-hmm. shared. Um, but it happens with historical stories too. And so I don't think not, not being discerning enough to know what's a fake historical story or what's a real one and then using it for some reason, that's not new, but the internet has made it a lot easier to find these stories and then to kind of have a false confirmation of them because you find them online quote, you know, cited in all kinds of different places. And if you're not a savvy enough internet user to know what's a reliable site and what's not, um, you know, you can get in trouble for that. And, and it's, and, and even the idea of a reliable site is tough. I mean, Wikipedia, um, Wikipedia is much better than it used to be, but you know, as a teacher and back when I was an instructor too, I mean, you have to caution students to be really careful with Wikipedia Mm -hmm. because it's an open source thing. Um, and you know, it's more reliable than some other sites. And so it, it, the internet is a tricky place for someone looking for historical facts. It's super useful if you know how to use it, mm-hmm. but training students is, in particular, and I think that's probably where you and I have the most crossover is, is talking to students about it. Training students how to use the internet properly is really tough. I mean, is that your experience? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, you've done more of it than I have probably. So it's extremely tough. Yeah. I mean, because there are so many different platforms as it is from yeah. Twitter to Instagram to, you know, Facebook. Um, they don't want to – because it takes a little time yeah. to understand it, yeah. and then none of them click on the second – You know, <laughs> God forbid if a kid ever clicked on – you know how you get like the 10 pages uh-huh. on the bottom? A kid's never clicking no. on two or three, or maybe that's the best source yeah. is down there. So, yeah, yeah I, but I, I think that's a role that museums play because it's nice, like you said. Museums yeah. are trusted, and to know the work that you're doing here as well as your colleagues, it's good that we have a center – in our culture yeah. that we can go to to verify stuff or to know we go here, this is safe. Yeah. And, and there's some places out there too on the internet. You know, you just got to oh, know sure. where they're at and understand that. So I, I, I think we need to do a better job as educators just across the board of teaching students. I think a lot of times educators, we have this internet, bam, we're going to use it in a classroom, mm-hmm. but we don't really teach people how to use it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to do a better job as educators. But it's also hard to get that through to a kid who's been playing around forever, never really thinking because kids, you know, 15, 14, they're not thinking like we are right Right. now about like, oh, my gosh, we've got to represent Lincoln right and knowing the overall importance of that. So, yeah, it is a challenge. Well, and the the other aspect of it, and I don't know if 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 we're going too long with this discussion, cut me off, but the other aspect of it, too – um, with students, but I've learned too with the museum is, you know, we've so far this discussion we've been having has been kind of really binary about like what's true and what's not. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that the public that you try to educate the public about here, or you kind of indirectly end up educating them about is the complexity of history. And the fact that a lot of times we don't know mm-hmm. what's true or what's not, or there's different accounts of things out there. And so a really common thing that happens here, that that's a really good example that Usually, you know, I either end up confusing people or I kind of open their – hopefully I open their eyes when we talk about it is, um, you know, so one of the things we're really known for here, right, is being one of the five – we have one of the five handwritten copies of the Gaysburg Address, right? And um, the copy we have is the third one he wrote. It's the one he wrote for Edward Everett, right? Um, and it's the first one in which he uses the phrase under God. And uh, that's been Lincoln's use of under God and then the either omission or inclusion of under God by people when they recite the Gettysburg Address now has been a controversial thing. And so um, when you go into the Gettysburg Room, we have a room here devoted to the Gettysburg Address as you go through the museum. Under God is not included in the text we have on the wall. Um, I don't. I wasn't here when they designed the museum, so I have. I can't explain why they didn't include it there. But there are absolutely handwritten versions of the Gettysburg Address out there that don't include that phrase. Ours happens to, and people will come to me. I'll get calls. It happens frequently, or emails, or I'll. I'll even get like I'll be told come over to the museum because someone will be upset. Or even not necessarily upset, just be like, oh, I read your Gettysburg. It doesn't say under God. What's up with that? And I'll explain to them that Lincoln wrote five handwritten versions of it. None of them that we, we think, and again, I'm already shading it, right? We think none of them are the one he read from that day. 
And so we don't know if Lincoln said under God that day. And they're all a little different. So Lincoln, being the writer he was, he edited himself each time he rewrote the Gazer Address out. And so we don't know what he actually said that day. We know he generally, I mean, a lot of it's the same. But, um, you know, that phrase just suddenly gets injected in the third one he writes. And I think for a lot of people, that's a real eye-opener. Like, oh, like history is something that, you know, is our opinions on these things are constantly changing. We have different sources that conflict. Even Lincoln himself couldn't keep straight what he said that day, let alone, you know, me as some guy trying to figure it out 150 years later, right? Um, and that's a real thing to try to get across. That I used to you know, work hard to get across to students in the classroom, but also, yeah, in the museum, it kind of strikes people because, again, people come into the museum looking for authority. Yeah. And um, sometimes we can give them authority, but, but a lot of times you, then you kind of peel it back. You go, well, actually – we have this account on Lincoln, but then this other account contradicts it or, you know, whatever. And that's, to me, that's the real thing to get at is, you know, history is constantly, you know, we're finding new sources. That's what's most exciting for a historian is when you find a new thing that changes some story, you know, and that's where taking these deep dives into items in our, in our collection is really fun for me too. Cause sometimes I'll figure out there's a whole other aspect to something that we didn't know about. And then I can add that into the label or add it to the way we interpret it or something like that or put it in a new context. And so that's the fun stuff. Um, but it's something most people don't really have a sense of that, you know, it's not well, black and white. Yeah. And I think from a student's perspective, a lot of times as in history class or as historians, you ask them to make these stances, these claims yeah. oh, yeah. that could be debated. Yeah. And then you're like, but you want me to support it with actual, yeah. it's like this, you know, duality yeah. of, yeah. you know, I got to have concrete <laughs> evidence. Right. To back up this opinion that could easily be disagreed with. Right. And then, yeah, that it makes it complex. There's a lot of gray area in history, which yeah. makes it fun to talk about. Exactly. And that's yeah. why we're still, I mean, we've been arguing about Lincoln's uh, religion, um, Lincoln's views on race, and Lincoln's relationship with Mary. We've been arguing about that stuff in some cases since he was alive, but certainly since he died. Like we've been arguing and we still don't really know the answer to any of those three questions, you know, because it's there's so much conflicting evidence out there. And those are just the big three, let alone did Lincoln sleep in my great grandfather's house when he you know, was in town trying a case or something. Right. So um, and that's interesting. I mean, getting people to understand that, that there's different interpretations. Here are the different sources. What do you think? You know, it, it, it's it's OK for people to have conflicting views on history. And, you know, we talked about how there's these. You know, uh, uh, we talked about it in terms of fake news, but it's it's if you can get people to engage them with the sources and form opinions, that's okay. You know, they bounce around these ideas as long as you've got historical evidence to back you up. That's good stuff. Doesn't matter if we all are on the same page with it, as long as we're all working with the same set of sources. You know, that are legit sources. Yeah. I heard a professor say, it, I can't think. Is the one from the Gettysburg College? Alan Gelzo. Long. No. Peter Carmichael? Carmichael. Yeah. I heard him on a podcast. He says, I want all my kids to leave my class confused. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of all the different interpretations they've heard of this document. Right, yeah. And then I, I kind of like there's some truth to that, that you want them to think about multiple ways that yeah. you can evaluate or analyze what happened. Pete's great. He used to be a park ranger, and so Pete also yeah. has a real awareness of, of a lot of what we're talking mm -hmm. about. You know, that when you, when you deal directly with the public – you know, if you're if you're in the academy and you're just dealing with other professors um, and even just students, it 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 you it really shapes the way you view you know some things. Or if when you deal directly with the public, you realize just how many you know how many steps away from a trained historian a, a member of the public is. And again, I don't mean that condescendingly. I just mm -hmm. mean it that that shape. You have to realize where that baseline is. If you're going to yeah. connect with them, you have to connect with them in a way that you're not already eight steps ahead of them in terms of talking about sources or whatever. You got to connect with them in a way that there are stories that they can relate to, and then you show them yeah. why the story's true. You know, or, or what the, what your backing is on the story. Um, you know, to kind of teach them how history works. Sounds like teaching. <laughs> exactly. Well, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah, the I same kind of thing. And and yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, we're getting close to the hour, Mark, yeah. so I don't want to monopolize okay. your time here today. Um, I don't know. We usually do a Wink and Lincoln where we nah. – yeah, I think you're a little bit familiar. I don't know if you came up with an idea or uh, – I say because every week for me is a Wink and Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> you have a recent occurrence here in the last month or so where you kind of popped up in pop culture. 
Well, um, obviously, you have the giant pop up. Big now. giant Abe is the big one. Yeah, um, big giant Abe is the biggest thing we've had going on here in terms of uh, you know the public uh, noticing and us getting a little bit of coverage. Um, and it, like I said, that's been interesting for me. Um, but uh, we've um, what's interesting here too is. Um, you know, so one of the things about this place I mentioned before is we used to be the Illinois Historical Library, the State Historical Library. And so most of our collection is Illinois stuff. It's not Lincoln stuff. And so we, we try to get that stuff out there as much as we can and tell Illinois stories, but we got to link them to Lincoln, you know, somehow, no pun intended. Um, and so uh, our World War II exhibit opened um, yesterday on June 6th, the anniversary of D-Day. And it's built mostly from our oral history project. We have an oral historian here who collects oral histories from all over Illinois about different things. But whenever we do a, an exhibit here, we have to find a way to tie it into Lincoln. And so we use the the, the speech he gave um, to the Ohio Regiment, the In This Great Struggle speech, as a way to, to, to tie Lincoln to the greatest generation. Um, and, uh, and, and so that opened this week. So for me, that's the big deal uh, in Lincoln is that we opened that. But again, the Lincoln aspect of it is tying him in. I remember the, the first exhibit I worked on here, and I think I told um, – I mentioned this exhibit when I was on last time, was on the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the same deal where we had all this Cubs-Cardinals stuff, and we worked with the, the Hall of Fame – we had to find a way to tie it to Lincoln. And there's this great political cartoon from 1860 where Lincoln is batting. I think he's the bat. Oh, it's been so long. Since I think he's batting. He's holding the bat and he's playing against Douglas and Bell uh, and Breckenridge and, uh, and, and Lincoln's like about, I've, I'm going to, I'm totally massacring the story and you can look it up online, but Lincoln's going to hit like a home run or something. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just using baseball as a metaphor uh, for politics, and so um, one of the tricks at ALPLM is to try to everything we do, we got to somehow tie yeah. it to Lincoln and, and find those connections. Um, but yeah, this week in Lincoln, uh, that Chicago Tribune article I think came out this week, yeah. so that was a big one for us. And I was I was really honored to be quoted in that alongside Pinsker, Matt Pinsker, who I mentioned earlier. Um, they also linked on online, like they had the letters he actually yeah, sent. So yeah, so that's great. I would encourage everybody to go seek that out. Yeah, absolutely. Read. It's it's a it's it's a really cool story. It's a really cool Lincoln story. Um, and like I said, all those are part of our – the other thing I'm, I always try to plug when I go on podcasts and we talk about this place is our Papers of Abraham Lincoln Project. Uh, they have all those letters. They haven't published them yet. They've only gotten up to um, the 1840s. But if you um, if you go to paperswithabrahamlincoln.org, um, they, uh, they've got all the – they have everything written to or by Lincoln – Eventually, they're going to publish all of it, all the way up to his death. Um, but they're into the 1840s now, uh, and those they're all transcribed. You can see images of the, of, of the letters. They're all transcribed, and then they're annotated. You can see, you know, who's this guy Lincoln's talking about in this letter or who's writing to Lincoln. You can click on them, and you can see. Um, and they've got all those letters too, and, and, I, uh, and I, I used to work for that project, and I actually edited those letters uh, when I worked for the project, and those are real fun letters because you got, what, why is Lincoln mad? Who's he writing to? Why is he mad about it? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, check out that website, and it's it's always growing. That's a really exciting project we're doing here, and I'm really proud of the work I did when I worked there. Anything you want to plug for the summer months coming up down here? Oh, um, yeah, I already plugged my uh, my Illinois History Forum program. You can see it online on the library's page. We meet every two months. Uh, yeah, I... I um uh, I manage that program, but I'm never the speaker in it. We bring in a moderator. Uh, yeah, we're doing World War One in July, and then in September we're doing Illinois' role in creating the atomic bomb. So it's definitely a, uh, you know, getting away from Lincoln, um, but it's Illinois, good Illinois stuff. Another good Illinois thing that I'm dealing with right now is our conference on Illinois history. Uh, is is on October third and fourth. It's the biggest state um, uh, conference devoted solely to Illinois history, um, and I'm just now uh, setting up the schedule for that. So keep your eye on that. If you want to come and spend two days just learning about history, it's great. Um, we also, for folks like you, we run teacher workshops as part of that too, and teachers can come get credit. Um, and uh, we, uh, it's it's great. It's I'm I've I've organized I've helped organize that. Um, 
since I started working directly as a historian for the museum, it's one of my favorite things to do here. I just love, we get people from all over the country sending us proposals. They come here and speak, um, in the museum. Yeah. Our world war two exhibit just opened. So please come see it. It's open till the end of the year. We, uh, we have a train exhibit, uh, that we also just opened that you can come see. Um, and then just always keep an eye on the museum. One of the things I, I like to remind people at the museum, not just cause it's part of my job, but you know, people talk a lot about the, the museum. Well, I've already been to the museum. I've already seen it. Those artifacts, the the little things in the museum, we are changing those constantly. So you know that the if if you if you want to really get um, firsthand, you know, kind of brush ups with history, please come visit our museum. Uh, and you know, not only do the exhibits change, but we, those items change. And those items, to me, are the coolest stuff we have as a historian. I always want to see the artifacts, the documents, that kind of stuff. And we rotate those things out. So yeah, come see them. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Next time I'm in town, my goal is hopefully Mary's here. And yeah. then we get uh, two Canadians in the same room <laughs> uh, talking history who know significantly more yeah. than I do. So Happy to chat with you. Yeah. But, no, we appreciate it a great deal. So cool. for taking time out of your busy week, I know. So uh, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. No, any, anytime. This is fun. All righty. We're out. Okay, well, we hope you enjoyed that, Real Splitters. Um, so, Nick, what was your, like, from the interview, what was your favorite part? My favorite part, I think, was just kind of get an idea of kind of how his job works. I, I just found that interesting, mm-hmm. kind of how they decide what to put out on display, you know, kind of the importance of museums and our culture and the trust that surrounds that. Yeah, I mean, it just was a really good conversation didn't feel like a podcast it just felt like we were just kind of shooting a breeze on stuff hopefully that comes across in a good way for everybody who heard it um but yeah he's just a very nice guy everybody down there was nice from the security who let me in um just some of the other people i met so springfield is a must a must go if you're a lincoln fan mary you gotta get down there i know i know Uh, so uh yeah and then you know i think he covered it all that's awesome. Is there anything else about your trip that you wanted to talk about down there, like the D-Day stuff that you went to? Yeah, I was lucky enough to get asked to speak at the 75th anniversary D-Day celebration at the World War II Memorial. Um, and that's kind of the class I know we've mentioned a couple times, the Harlem Veteran Project. Mm-hmm. Um, that's out of the World War II Memorial Board is the grant that originally started the class. That's how it all got started. So. Um, I was lucky enough to be asked to speak, and I did. Uh, we got to stay with a great lady, Vicki DeWitt, with the IPA, Illinois Principal Association. Um, and, yeah, she's just a nice lady. Uh, watched a little hockey while we were down there. Um, awesome. So I know Mary doesn't watch hockey. but uh, Bad anyway. Canadian. <laughs> Bad, I'm, and I also have not been watching the Toronto Raptors. So... Yeah. yeah, all those series are done when this airs. So yeah. right now the Blues are winning. So congratulations, Blues winning the cup. If they didn't win it, masterful choke job. Way to go, Bruins. <laughs> nice job. Way to stick it to St. Louis. Why don't you predict it now, Nick? We'll see how it turns out. They're down 2-0 right now, the Bruins. But anyways, <laughs> um, I was down in St. Louis country. So uh, that's the main reason I think I started rooting for the Bruins. Nice. No, but great shout-out to Christian again. Um, great guy. Uh, hope to have him on in the future, hopefully again. Um, so I know next time when I'm down there, I'll definitely probably reach out, to, whether just to you know, say hello. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and hopefully Mary's down with us next time we chat with him. I hope so, yeah. We're getting close to the 100th episode of Real Splitter Podcast. I think this is going to be 92. This will be episode 92, I think. Mm-hmm. If I'm getting my math right there. Um, be pretty cool for the hundredth to be. That'd in, be real awesome in the land of Lincoln. So might have to start planning something for that. Um, in the meantime, thank you again to the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library, Library Museum and to Christian McWhorter for doing the interview with Nick. It gives us great content for our show, and we hope you, our listeners enjoyed it um we're not gonna do our weekly traditions just because we've managed to fill this episode with a really wonderful interview that uh nick Whitten did for us so any parting thoughts nick 
No, the statues are good this week in Lincoln. I got a couple pictures, so I'll post them. That'd be a good one to check out. And check out the newspaper article. It's a good article about some letters that Lincoln wrote to the Tribune, obviously. Um, and the article has the letters, too. So something I hadn't seen before. Good read. Check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you, as always, for, for listening, uh, Real Splitters. And until next time, keep walking the world with malice toward none, with charity for all. And we will see you again very soon.